Chris, welcome to the Experience Cafe. Mm. Um, really excited to have you today on the show. Um, to tell us a little bit more about the metaverse, I know that you're quite passionate about that, and I was cracking to explore some of that with you uh, today. Yeah. But let me start off with, you want to give us a quick snapshot of who, who Chris Hay is and okay. why you're here. So when I'm not here, I, I, you know, I live out in Suffolk in the uh, beautiful countryside. I take my dog for walks in the evening, almost every evening, you know, in the water meadows, absolutely beautiful. And when I'm not working for IBM, I'm a frustrated creative and I run my own YouTube channel and uh, try and teach the world about coding and technology. Fantastic. And I've got quite a following around your, your technical leadership. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So, so a bit more about you. Three, two truths and a lie. Two truths and a lie. Okay. Here we go. So I once led a consortium to buy a Premier League football club. I own a $10,000 pair of Ray-Ban shades of the Inverness, which is limited to 500 in the world. And I was a former stand-up comedian, and I have performed at the major uh, you know, venues, and I was featured in uh, newspapers and magazines. Wow. So, so all three sound equally unlikely, but I, I know that you have a penchant for, uh, for sunglasses. Uh, actually, I'm actually a for them. I'm going to go with, I think the lie is the Premier Football League Consortium. No, I, re <laughs> I really did. I led a consortium. Uh, wasn't an English Premier League club. It was a Scottish club. Uh, but yeah, I got some. I don't, I'm not rich, right? But I found a, my, my club went under. Uh, I went into administration. So myself and a couple of investors kind of got together and we tried to buy the football club. But luckily, it went to somebody more competent than myself. So Fantastic. that was fine. Oh, I didn't realize that. The lie so. was the sunglasses. Okay. All right. Who pays $10,000 for a pair of sunglasses? That's ridiculous. But I do have that exact pair, but it, it only cost me 150 bucks. Okay. All right. Interesting. I like the, uh, the, uh, the sidestep in terms of uh, most predictable. Yeah. I like the outcome. Excellent. So, uh, Chris, metaverse, it's obviously quite a topic. It's yep. something that I understand you're very passionate about um, yep. and uh, you've got quite a following around it. For, for people who are not familiar with it, you want to just kind of set a bit of broad context around what is the metaverse and, and why it's taking off and why it's of interest. Yeah, so the metaverse as a concept has been around for quite a while, um, you know, and a lot of people will think about it as sort of virtual reality type worlds. And, and I think that is part of that. And, and the idea of the metaverse is to have these parallel virtual worlds where you can represent yourself in a digital form and interact with people. And, uh, and, and I guess a lot of it sort of came from the gaming world, but actually I think it's super interesting. So when we look at the time that we've had over COVID and the, you know, and the fact that we've been all sort of huddled away in our bedrooms and working there, that ability to meet other people in different worlds, representing yourself as you want to be represented, to be able to do to have fun, but also to do serious business, I think is where it goes. So this this blending of the physical and the digital world is where the metaverse uh, becomes connected. Now, what makes it interesting as we go through time is these different worlds will become connected, and and hopefully nobody will own that platform, but it will be a series of connected worlds. But I think this sort of switch between the physical and digital world is where, where we're really going. Interesting. So Second Life was around, what, 10 years ago plus? Yep. So what's different now and didn't sort of take off? But, you know. 
What's yeah, changed? and so Second Life was around uh, 10 years ago, but I think the difference now is that it's becoming a little less niche and it's becoming uh, a little bit more mainstream. So we, we've we got things like Oculus Headquart, uh, Oculus Oculus headsets, for example, that are a reasonable price point. We've got applications that, that can be used. So, I mean, my favorite example at the moment is we were we were stuck in lockdown for however long, and then a bunch of us got together in IBM and we started having meetings in the metaverse. So we were using Horizon workrooms, and it felt great, right? You know, you were able to sort of configure your avatar, look how you want to look, and then have really realistic meetings where you could move around the room. Okay, in in reality, you're moving around your own bedroom, but it doesn't feel like that when you're in a room. You feel as if you're with your colleagues, right? When somebody gets close to you, it feels a little too close, right? But but you're there, you can interact, you can play on the whiteboard. And, and therefore, that sort of ability to bring people together and start having meaningful conversations to, you know, in the digital world it, and being 3D, that, that was for me the real experience. And that's why it's quite different from something like Second Life. And so you think, based on what you just said there, we're making a transition between things like video games, which is which is kind of quite yep. but obviously in topical to, is there a real world business application? So you just described there around yep. having meetings virtually. That's one application. Yep. Um, certainly after lockdown, you know, we're all learning to do things more virtually and it's more efficient and yep. it's a different level of experience, I guess, compared to normal video conferences. Yep. Um, what are some of the other applications that you're seeing from Metaverse, you know, in the quote-unquote real world, yeah. So in, in the real world, I mean, if I take an example that we've done recently, right, which is we do design thinking all the time in IBM, right? You know, so we get in a room, we draw some things on post-it notes, we move the post-it notes around, and then we go, okay, well, you know, this innovation is going to work, and then we figure out our strategy. When that meeting's done, the post-it notes come down, maybe you, you take some photographs with them in the camera, and then it's done, right? Whereas in the metaverse where we've run design thinking sessions, right, those post-it notes remain, that room remains. So if I want to come back into that room and have a look at it and see what the, what my thoughts were, if I want to record that session, I can do that. And, and that's where I find it's quite different. The second thing is that it's already digitized, so I can pull it out. I can start to bring it into my other applications, but also it's more inclusive because in those sessions, everybody has to be in the same room, whereas actually you can be at home, you can be in a different country, so you can bring a wider group of people together to innovate and come up with ideas and, and then capture the moment. So that's one of the examples where we're doing that today. I mentioned meetings as well, right? So similar, we, we held some pretty good meetings where we're figuring out some of our metaverse points of view, and we did that in the metaverse, and we brought together, I think, 50 different people from like, it must have been at least 10 different countries at the same time, all in the room, be able to move around, go into different breakout rooms, right? Have a conversation, wander out a breakout room, go and listen into another conversation and move around the experience and space. So I think that collaboration is, is a really important one. Now, obviously there are things like e-commerce, which happy to talk about as well, but for me, the starting point is probably just simple collaboration. So simple collaboration, new ways of working. Exactly. But from my perspective, I'm more interested in the commercial aspect that says, so how does this translate to things like Digital Twin? That's yep. been around for decades now as well. Yep. Um, and we talk about retailers taking a keen interest in it to say, how do they monetize um, metaverse 
um, and how do they create virtual brands in yep. the space? Give me some insights around that. So let's let's I'll cover a digital twin at the same time yeah. as kind of retail. So think about your analytics for a second, right? So if I bring up an analytics product, I see a graph, I see a product or whatever, right? That that sounds okay. Yeah. Let's think about that with bringing digital twin and VR technologies together into the metaverse. If I take my digital estate, every store that I may have, could be a physical store, could be a digital store, then I take something like my personas, we capture personas, this person is this lookalike of this person and that lookalike of that person. Imagine a world where we then translate those personas into 3D avatars that represent a persona. Imagine within that virtual reality environment, I can see every single store, right? I can see how those, those analytics that are coming through today, I can see where they are combined with sensors, et cetera, and get a representation of where people are in the store, where they get stored on a checkout process. And that could be in a physical experience, but could also be in a digital experience because I could represent that in my e-commerce estate as well. Maybe I, then, because it's a 3D avatar, I want to have a conversation with a persona. Why are you here? Why, why are you buying this thing, right? And we can use AI to give those answers, so it's not necessarily the real person there, but I can then start to interact with my environment and try and derive insights. Now, that's a sort of uh, an analytics and IoT example. If I bring that back into a retail and commerce perspective, how many times do we go into a physical store, look at a thing, look it up on a phone, and then buy it on Amazon? We do that all the time, right? Um, so we go into the store as a browsing job. That same experience, being able to go into a physical store, try things out, right? Maybe it's a lipstick shade. Maybe it's buying things for your avatar. Maybe it's buying, you know, looking at the mentions of a couch that you want to buy, right? Being able to understand and buy that and then buy that within experience. Maybe I'm at a bank. I want to have a chat with my, my bank manager. Well, why not do that with a virtual environment? Have that conversation. Uh, it could be a virtual assistant, so I'm asking questions that's been answered by AI, but then at the same time, that could easily move into uh, a real person in that digital environment having a conversation about my loan. So I think that ability to switch between these different worlds becomes important, and then I can meet people where I am. Is that a bit more commercial for you? Or yeah, so, not so, but, but it's, so um, is that for people of a certain generation? Uh, or put it another way, do you think for people who've grown up uh, engaging much more in virtual worlds, um, for them this is a natural, it's a different extension of way of engaging with, with things and different channels to your point. But for, for people, perhaps on my generation, like it doesn't appeal to me, like I'm not interested in having a virtual avatar myself. Uh, like, you know, do you think it's appealing to a certain substrate of people or is, is there more broad appeal for people like me? Yeah. I, I think that will evolve over time. So I think at the moment, you're, you're probably right. It's probably a generational thing. But then a lot of people, even in these COVID times, are looking way for ways to connect. As the world is getting bigger and people are getting more distant in their lives, people move away from cities and towns, and they want to have those richer, more deep, deep and meaningful conversations. And therefore, technologies like that, where you can really feel as if you're with somebody, Right, I, I think is is going to cross generations. Now, at the moment, you put a big headset on your head, right, and and that's not going to be appealing to some people. But when a few years time, when we have things like augmented reality gra glasses, then that's going to change, right, because that sort of ability to switch between these environments becomes more pervasive. Good example, maybe I'm driving towards, uh, I'm going to a McDonald's drive-through, right, you know and I'm going to order a cheeseburger or whatever. Now, what do you do? You talk to a metal box, 
right? And you talk to the metal box, you drive around, and then somebody gives you a cheeseburger, you make the payment. Now, what if that interaction is, I'm in the car, I'm driving towards there, and you just say, hey, let's speak to McDonald's, right? So now I'm in a virtual reality land, I'm having a conversation, rather than having a convert conversation with a metal box, maybe I'm speaking to a 3D avatar, right, in my glasses, or, you know, maybe I get to see pictures of the food, how it looks like, etc. I do my order, and then I drive through, and I pick up my physical uh, good. So I think as augmented reality comes in and as the devices become more mobile, then that switch between the digital and physical will become more natural. And what are the implications for um, existing brands? Or So we're talking a lot about sort of consumer examples. Yeah. I suspect there's also B2B examples. You know, the, the, the example that comes to mind is you think about the Iron Man and sort of Tony Stark doing his kind of virtual avatar thing in 2D. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm more of an industrial background, so that kind of appeals to me. Um, uh, but so given that it is kind of probably going to move with consumers to start with, um, yeah. what are the sort of implications for for for, client, uh, for companies today in terms of you know, branded, com- branded goods, consumer goods? I, I think the implication is huge, right? Because you have to go to where the market is, right? So, it, or where your consumers are. So, if your consumers are participating in certain areas, so if they're in something like the central land or whatever, then if you want your brand to be relevant in that uh, area, then therefore in that world, you need to be present in that world as well. So, I think from brands, they want to start interacting with these various different worlds and, and be part of those communities. So there is there's certainly implications uh, in that sense. Um, but then there's probably, that's a kind of positive, where, which is you want to be part of those worlds. Mm-hmm. If I take the negatives, I think we're going to get into ourselves into some pretty interesting scenarios, right? Because we're already worrying about things like Facial tracking, right? We've all, I think we've all agreed in the real world that you shouldn't track individuals, you know, via cameras using AI, you know, facial technologies, et cetera. But then you have to start to, to think to yourself, well, how does that work in, in the metaverse, in the virtual world? Is it acceptable to track somebody's avatar, right? Is it, I, you know, and you think about how an avatar is built up, this brand of jeans, this brand of sunglasses. In some regards, that's fingerprinting, like browser fingerprinting, but now it's avatar fingerprinting, and you can use that to track somebody across the world. So I think we're going to get ourselves into a really interesting space of what is going to be acceptable and what's not going to be acceptable in in the metaverse uh, from a brand perspective and from an advertising perspective as well. And, And that could be simple things like, you think of influencers today, you've got YouTube influencers will come in and they'll say, buy this product, it's amazing, I use this all the time. Right. But then in a, in a virtual world, we could be in a scenario where, you know, an avatar is wandering around, might be real, might not be wearing brands of jeans, wearing different brands of tops, et cetera. And you might, oh, how does that work? And then suddenly you find yourself in a buying conversation because you were looking at what somebody's wearing or you were looking at an item of furniture. So I think advertising has got the potential to change. To pump your avatar or to actually translate that into physical transaction? Both. Mm-hmm. Both. And pimping your avatar is fun, right? I mean, I am I am obsessed with pimping my avatar, right? <laughs> I mean, oh my goodness. Uh, I spend way too long trying to customize that thing. 
And how much money have you spent on, on pumping your? Do you know what? That's a really interesting one. So at the moment, I <laughs> I haven't spent any money. I get the interns to do that for me. Uh, you know, right. John, John's probably gone, Chris. <laughs> right. But would I spend money? Absolutely, right? And um, would I spend 50 bucks, not $10,000, but would I spend 50 bucks on a pair of digital Ray-Bans for my avatar? Absolutely, yeah. And I think everybody would as well. Really interesting. Thanks, Chris. So um, I want to kind of change topics now. I've got a couple yep. of questions for you just to kind of get a sense of a bit more around who Chris Hayes and what, what, what kind of makes you tick. So um, quick 10 questions, quick fire round. Morning or evening? Evening. Diet or exercise? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Email or chat? Uh, email. Yes or perhaps? Perhaps. Consumer electronics services or Wimbledon? Consumer electronics. <laughs> Disruption or transformation? Disruption. Cloud or GDPR? Cloud. Video or phone call? Video. Consult or direct? What do you mean by consult or direct? Ah, do you engage or do you tell people what to do? Engage. So consult. Speed or accuracy? Both. Is it not a trade-off? No, not in my mind. Interesting. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Chris. The, um, let's move on in terms of next topic of discussion. So we all kind of, we've heard a bit about the metaverse. Um, curious, you know, most of us learn more from our failures than our successes. Yep. And I'm just curious in terms of what's kind of what are your what are your big interesting you know, failures and takeaways and one of your biggest things that you've learned to help shape who yep. you are and, and what your interests are. So my biggest failure and my biggest learning at the same time, and I think about this today, uh, every day, is I was involved in a startup probably very early in my career. So it was you know, uh, and I essentially was working with my mate, and we were building a people counting system for nightclubs, you know, which is which is a great thing is, to- Isn't that like a, a click first thing? Ah, no, we were processing video. So okay. you would have a camera and then you see people coming and you would identify the people and then say there's two people, three people, count people that come in and out. And that was a great project, um, but I learned a few lessons and it failed utterly, right? We could not count people coming in and out of the system. And and there's multiple reasons it's failed, right? One is the technology really didn't exist, right? So today where you have machine learning and AI techniques where you can sort of draw outlines, it's easy to count people, that didn't exist. The camera processing for being able to, to have high enough quality to identify people and computers to process that in real time didn't exist, but we tried to make it work, right? And, and it didn't, right? And I spent months walking around under cameras with a sort of fake body trying to represent two people going back and forward. And then, you know, you do that in a kind of laboratory environment and then you go out to a nightclub and then the lights change, people puke up on the floor, somebody puts a bin in the middle of it, then you have people walking arm in arm and it's like the laboratory conditions and the real world conditions were completely changed. So the, the <laughs> so it completely failed, right? But, but there was three lessons, you know, in good old Ginny fashion, there's always three things that I learned, right? So, so number one is I never do a project that I don't understand how to uh, implement, 
So that is always my story. So when we, whenever we do a project, I've usually figured out a solution of how we get to the ending. If I can't figure it out, I pretty much don't get involved, right? So that's lesson number one. <laughs> lesson number two is real world and laboratory testing. So think about it, system testing and, and user acceptance testing versus real customers using your solution are completely different. And then the third thing, uh, I've forgotten, so, but I'm sure it was interesting. So there was three things, but <laughs> some, sometimes there are two. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and in terms of, uh, do you think that's it, the technology has changed now? To be, it, is it a technology issue? That was the third one, right? The th that was the third lesson. Thank right. you, John. The third lesson is sometimes you're too early and t technology needs to catch up a little bit. And I think to bring that back to metaverse, that's, that's the balance that we're in just now, right? Which is technology is still really early in that journey. So back to your point about second life, technology was really early there. We're now at a point where technology's moved substantially on, right? You can have headsets, you can have those conversations in the metaverse. There are applications, there are platforms that you can use, but actually it's still early. So it's one of these things where you have to sort of have that balance of, am I going to go all in in the metaverse? Maybe I don't see the commercial value just now and versus where I'm going to be in the future. So if I think about foundations, right? People who want to be in the metaverse, companies that want to be in the metaverse, actually the bigger story is about setting your foundations up so that you can prepare to be in the metaverse. And the sort of things that I would say people should be thinking about is, you know, we were talking about buying things online and retail commerce. Well, to some regards, that's just another channel. So if you want to be in the metaverse, you need to have a look at your digital platforms and understand how you can have a multi-channel, omni-channel strategy, right? You're going to have to be able to understand like what your tone of voice is, what your brand guidelines are, how you're going to interact. Um, if you sell to somebody in the metaverse, how does that link into your CRM system today? So it actually brings you back into APIs. It brings you back into digital platforms. So by investing in your digital platforms and investing in your omni-channel and API-based strategy, what you're actually doing is starting to prepare yourself for the metaverse. And, and even simple things like doing things like 3D modeling, et cetera, so that you can represent, you know, your consumer goods or, or whatever. That's investment for the future. So you might not be all in on the metaverse today, but preparing those foundations. And at least the, if you don't go into the metaverse, then at least you've enabled your digital strategy in, in a, in a super interesting way where you're going to get value, um, straight away. So, and, and I think that's really important because people who want to come into the metaverse don't do it in a siloed way. Right. If you have these silos where I'm just doing this thing on the side, it's probably going to fail. Right. But if you can think about how that relates to your overall digital strategy, your overall digital platforms and your technology strategy, then you're going to have success in multiple places. Fantastic. And so for people who've not kind of experienced the metaverse yet, what would your, what would your advice be for people who kind of get a headset, started? put it on your head? <laughs> configure an avatar and go meet some people in some places, whether you have a meeting, whether it's a virtual space or whatever, go do some things, do some things and experience it because you, you can't critique something from the outside. You can't say, oh, this isn't going to work if you've never tried it, right? It's like, you know, it's like what my mother used to say. It's like, oh, you don't like green peas. You know, it's like, you've never had green peas. I'm like, yeah, I don't like it. And it's like, you haven't tried it, right? And it's, it's kind of like that. You, you've got to immerse yourself. You've got to enjoy it. And then, and, 
Because that was my changing moment. It was putting the headset on, having those virtual collaborations, you know, with not within a business context, me and and being able to meet people across the world and 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 being able to have digital footprints of the conversations we were having. But then I got obsessed with my avatar and how I represented myself in that space, right? So it, it sort of you start to peel back those layers and it makes more sense. And again, good good example, NFTs made no sense no sense at all outside of the metaverse. As soon as you go into the metaverse, I'm like, oh yeah, a Hockney picture on that wall there and having it certified as a Hockney. Oh, a certified pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses. That makes sense in the metaverse. You know, outside of the metaverse where it's like, here's a JPEG with a picture of Ray-Ban sunglasses makes absolutely no sense. So if you want to get started and you want to understand some of those technologies, immerse yourself. That's really interesting. And you've just triggered another question there that uh, blockchain is another, or Bitcoin and uh, yep. cryptocurrencies is another thing. Do you think cryptocurrencies become the, the currency for the, for the metaverse or? Um... I think digital currency is here to stay. And, I, and if, I, if I bring it back to my world, right? So, I, you know, back in 2006, giving away my age a little bit, right? But <laughs> back in 2006, I was actually part of the original development team for M-Pesa in Africa, which was about mobile monies over SMS. So, um, and we changed the world as we did that. And, and, and I led the architecture and development of that for a long time. And that ability to make payments in Africa by SMS was huge. And that's, and that was a digital, you know, it wasn't a currency in that sense because it was like a stable coin today. It was backed with with real money, but that ability to pay digitally isn't going to change. I think where it becomes interesting in the cryptocurrency is: Are you treating this as an asset class, right? So if you think about Bitcoin, it's really an asset at that point because it's it's there's limited supply. You know, the price is going to go up and down. So it's you know, so it's an asset in that sense. Where I think when things like US government, et cetera, and they start to say, this is a digital currency and it's backed by US dollar, then those transactions are going to be stable and people are going to do that a lot more. So um, what, the <laughs> what the dominant currency is going to be, I don't know over time. But what I can say is digital currency is going to be absolutely key, right? And, that, and, you, and you think about it logically, just the ability to do cross-country, cross-border transactions. Uh, in a safe way is is going to be enabling for economy. So I, I, I totally believe in digital currency. Which one's going to be the winner? Who knows? Fantastic. I guess maybe to, to conclude, I think back, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when when mobile phones were just things with a keyboard and, a, and an LCD screen. Yeah. Um, and I, today on smartphones, I can't picture how the world will be without them. If you can try and you know put on your futurist hat and your crystal ball in mm. five to ten years' time, how's how's life going to be different in ten years' time in the metaverse, and versus what it is today? And we'll look back to this moment and go, I can't, yeah, can't picture it. I think if I look to five years' time, more things will be digital, as we said. I think augmented reality glasses will be here. So we will be doing more in the same ways we move around with our mobile phone. We'll be interacting with these different worlds. 
with our, our glasses. I, I think that's almost a guarantee within five years. So you can even imagine going into a shop, having a conversation with a physical assistant, but then maybe be speaking to a guide, right, through your glasses, maybe having instant translation through your glasses. So I think in the same way as we carry our mobile phone around all the time, I think augmented reality glasses will be a thing. And therefore, that means that these digital worlds running as parallel universes will make more sense because they're more intertwined with our experiences. I think virtual reality headsets will be smaller as well. They'll be more powerful. You can do more things. They'll be more transportable. So therefore, that will be brought into our everyday lives as well. So I think, I think that digital and physical world will be less of a gap and a barrier to entry than it is today. And therefore, things like digital payments, digital ownership of digital assets, the um, the need and want for them, the, and the interoperability, I think will be more of the norm. I think at the moment we're like, oh, you know, why would I buy a pair of digital sunglasses? I, I just think in five years that will, will be a conversation, right? Things like, um, and I think that will change things like banking, right? So if I'm, if I'm being honest, right? The thing that annoys me the most is direct debits. I hate direct debits, right? It is, I don't get why if I need to pay a company, I, I need to set it up so money comes out of my account on the 10th of whatever, right? And mm. everybody sets up a direct debit the same way. They go, I get paid on this day. I'll do it a few days after just in case it falls over a weekend or something like that. Or, you know, and therefore that payment will be guaranteed. Well, that's a time-based system. But if we look at something like crypto and, um, and we look at uh, blockchain, you have smart contracts where you're able to chain things. You're able to say, when this happens, go do this. These sort of rules, execute this. Well, why wouldn't that be the norm? <laughs> why not? Why could I not chain paying my electricity bill to when I get paid? So payment comes in, that gets chained, chained automatically happens. So if my, if I get paid late, it's fine. And then that would, fundamentally change how we do credit because then you can say, well, this changes to this, just, you know, and therefore how we do loans, how we do micropayments changes, and then that hooks into IoT systems. So when this gets paid, then it kicks off something that, that switches your electricity on or, you know, changes your energy supply. So this, this world of being interconnected is, I think, where we're, and maybe five years is a little too early, but it's coming, right? And it's already happening in places like Africa to, to smaller, to a smaller extent. But it's going to come here as well. And therefore, how we transact, how we do business, how we do commerce, how we do finance, how we interact with the world, right, is going to become more interconnected. And for me, that's what the metaverse is about. It's not about separate experiences. It's about bringing things together and having different interconnections. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Chris. It's been really interesting talking to you. Thank you. Uh, hopefully, we've learned a lot about, well, I've certainly learned a lot more about the metaverse today. And um, look forward to uh, seeing you again soon. Thank you, sir. Cheers.